0: Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hello and welcome to this uh, ODI Lunchtime Lecture. My name is Olivier and I'm the Head of Technology here at the ODI. It's a pleasure to introduce today's Lunchtime Lecture. Um, I am introducing uh, Mike's talk. Uh, Mike Rose is an associate at the ODI and has been spending, before that, roughly a decade being a change agent and data bod at places like uh, the Environment Agency and DEFRA. And he comes to us today with a talk uh, for which he has, I think, recently changed the title from Is Open Data Dead to Open Data Is Dead. So some confidence right here. (laughs) Um, We will take questions at the end of the, uh, the talk. Uh, if you are following us on the stream, we will take questions on Twitter. Please tag them with uh, hashtag ODI Friday so we can find them. But for now, Mike, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you, Olivier. Um, so, yes, open data is dead. Um, I picked this title um, probably a month or so ago. hadn't realised that I was going to be doing the talk in the same week as the ODI Summit where we've had a a great, great session talking around open data and all things open data, and then I come along on Friday and end the week with open data is dead. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about why I think I'm qualified to talk about this. Then I'm going to use a project that I'm working on at the moment to sort of illustrate some of my thinking, and then we'll get to the end point and some conclusions around open data. So, as Olivier said, um, I... Worked for a long time um, in the Environment Agency. I was an employee of theirs for nearly 20 years. Um, I worked a lot in data sharing. Um, I got involved in data licensing, intellectual property rights, contractual stuff around data sharing. I ended up running a business within the Environment Agency that licensed data to third parties um, for their use in property search reports and stuff like that, and it used to make about five million pounds a year. Contrary to popular belief, uh, a significant change happened in the Environment Agency around open data. It wasn't because of pressure from individuals, it was because of events like this. Um, real, uh, this is a, an image from the flood event, I think, in Christmas 1415. Um, you have to admire this guy's ingenuity if you look at the, uh, the surroundings. Um, basically, the flood events put pressure on the Environment Agency to release more of their flooding data as uh, open data so people could use it and get information from it. Um, I was involved in that transition um, and arranging and sorting out licence agreements with third parties such as Ordnance Survey, Centre for Ecology and Hydrology to allow us to release flood data as open data. I then put in place a transition plan to make the whole organisation open data by the end of 2017. Um, After doing this, I was then asked to go and work at DEFRA, so the Department for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, as part of a team that was involved in releasing 10,000-odd open data sets in a year. We were set a challenge um, in June 2015 by the Secretary of State, the then Secretary of State, to uh, release 8,000 open data sets in a year. We did 10,000, and that was working across the DEFRA group, which is a a set of 30 organisations that sit underneath DEFRA as a department. So not just working to say, here's our data on a server, let's release it, but much more around, let's work with all of these organisations to get them to understand what the problem is and move to uh, release lots of open data. Um, I've been called out before for making it sound like I did this all on my own. So here is a picture of the team, some of the team that were involved in doing this. Um, This was taken by the Ordnance Survey drone when we had an event down there, uh, sort of a celebratory event after we released released the, um, the, all the data. Um, actually, this event was in the last pre-election period, so it's, it feels like sort of symmetry. When I, um, One of the consequences of giving up the income in the Environment Agency and sw- t- switching it all to um, open data was that the money that, that paid for my post went. Um, so I ended up leaving government after 19 years. I didn't quite get the long service certificate. Um, And I came to work here at the ODI for a year, um, getting involved in projects with with other organisations that were going through and looking at how to get more value out of their data and share more data. Um, The ODI was kind of like a stepping stone for me out of government, and I'm now actually working as a a freelance data sharing and change consultant. Um, And the project that I've been working on most over the last year is the one that I'm going to talk about now, Was working has been working in Ethiopia to help them develop a soil and agronomy data sharing policy and the implementation of that. So, it is a question here, Olivier: Is open data dead? So, using using this case study to sort of work through it. Um, So, as I mentioned, so this this I'm going to focus on the project um, which is the soil and agronomy data sharing policy which is all around soil in Ethiopia. This is a photo taken from the plane flying into land at Addis Airport. And you can see, hopefully you can see that the fields here are all quite small. It's very, very green. Um, The the country of Ethiopia itself has been changing quite a lot in the last two or three years. Um, This guy became uh, Prime Minister two or three years ago. and I always get his name wrong, I think it's Abiy Ahmed. Thank you, Josh. Um, He basically came in at a time where the the country had been very kind of restrictive um, and the the whole premise was around security and control. Um, He has come in and released released the pressure on quite a lot of things. He's he's allegedly solved the border dispute with Eritrea, hence why he recently got the Nobel Peace Prize. But that kind of change in, in tone from the top has actually created an environment where people working in Ethiopia now feel a lot more kind of able to do things that three or four years ago they they couldn't do and and sharing and looking at data is one of those elements so soil and agronomy data sharing policy so it's not about data sharing in the first instance so what is it actually really about Um, it's really about the country itself wanting to become self-sufficient in crops um, at, the mo- at the moment, uh, they import wheat from other countries, um, and the the aim is by sharing more data and understanding the soils and how to use the soils better. Over time, yields would increase, um, and they'll be able to basically become self-sufficient. Farming itself in Ethiopia is a very still a very manual process. Um, the, as I showed you on the other picture, the fields the field sizes are small, um, and Basically, people are working in this kind of fashion. You don't see lots of tractors hooning around, hooning around out there, which is important because quite a lot of the data that's there is collected on a field-by-field basis by researchers um, who don't necessarily manage it in a way which is useful for other people because they get the data themselves, they send it off for a lab, they know which field it's come from, they don't need to reference it or tag it necessarily brilliantly... So it's useful for the original purpose, but it's not done in a way which actually enables data sharing. So just thinking a bit bit more about how data sharing was working. So when, I, when because of the the um, political situation prior to the new prime minister, or the, the recently new prime minister, um, one of the biggest issues around data sharing was uh, was with regard to border data. So anything that was geospatial, if it had any sniff of borders in it, wouldn't be shared. The ministry of, um, ministry of, which Ministry is it? Information Security would basically say no, absolutely no way because there was so, so much chance of conflict by people disputing the different borders uh, and even recently people have been killed where people have been arguing about and having, having fights around the, around the borders. The change in the, the leadership sort of created an environment where people were a bit more open to sort of thinking about that, you know, if, there's, if, if the data has not got borders in it, is it easier to share? Can we work around that? Um, the culture that had grown up was very much one of um, we will, sh- I, I can go and get data from you because you're my friends. I know you, I know you've got it. You'll give it to me because you know me and you trust me. The processes that underpinned it weren't really there. It was much more about who you knew rather than what you knew, um, which all stems from this kind of like culture of trust or lack of trust in what people are intending to do with data and information. I suppose I should explain this slide. This is just a gratuitous one of mine as I was driving away from the airport, and I just really like the fact that somebody spends their time stacking vegetables like this. Fruit. Um, So that's the situation. Those of you who have seen presentations that I've done before here will have recognised that I sometimes talk about carrots and sticks. This is the stick. Um, In Ethiopia, they they'd obviously identified their outcome, they want to increase crop yields and they want to do that by sharing more data so they can do more sensible things with, the, with farming. they identified how they were going to do that, which is um, they were going to try and get different, different people to pull their data together, so the researchers to provide their data and bring it together. Um, so what, they've decide, what they decided they wanted to do was get in place a catch-all uh, data sharing policy for soils and agronomy data that they could implement and then basically use that to push people to share their data. So I got involved uh, about a year ago in trying to pick up that project to sort of look at how to develop that data sharing policy. Uh, This slide is busy. I make no apologies for that. It's trying to illustrate that. So on the Ethiopian side, on this side, there's lots of organisations that are involved in and are interested in soil and agronomy data, from the Ministry of Agriculture itself, to the uh, Institute of Agricultural Research, which is part works for the ministry, to some of the international centres, My probably my, the, the ministry with my favourite acronym in the entire world, which is the Ministry of Information Technology, um, and then the regions themselves. So there's a huge amount of stakeholders in the country. Um, the... Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation fund a huge amount of work in this area, not just in Ethiopia, but around the world. Um, and the ini- re- initial bit of project that I did was working with GIZ, who are the German development agency part of the, uh, under the German government, to spend Bill and Melinda's money um, by helping to develop this policy. That's then fed into a project that's been run by CABI and the Open Data Institute, which I'm still involved in, which is about implement- implementing that policy. All of that is just to illustrate that it's a really, really complicated makeup. It, you're not just, not just working for one client. So, the main client is the Ministry of Agriculture, but everybody needs to be satisfied what they're, what they're getting um, and how the policy and stuff is going to work. So, day one, sitting on the airplane, flying out there, what was the situation in the country? Well, fortunately, when we landed, or when I landed, there was um, already in place uh, a thing called the Coalition of the Willing. So GIZ um, and their, their, key, key, their key person had um, got together with others, uh, I think a, a bunch, about 50 people who believed in data sharing for soils, uh, pra- practitioners mainly, to kind of, sort of work out what needed to be done. They were the people that kind of pushed that we, need to have a, that we needed to have a policy in place. Alongside that, the Ministry of Agriculture had appointed six people to a a, a task force specifically to support the development of a policy and they'd allocated through GIZ this money from Bill and Melinda Gates to get the policy developed. So I landed with a bunch of stakeholders already identified and already in place to actually engage with, which I assure you was a relief. Ethiopia, three years ago, I think three years ago, developed an open data policy needed to learn lessons from the open data policy development in Ethiopia Um, the reason being that that sits on a shelf not enacted nobody's using it Um, and from speaking to people out there and from looking at the policy itself what was clear is what had happened was pretty much what I've just said up until this point had happened with me it was we need some international expertise we need to do open data we need to do all of these things let's get somebody in and they can help us write it what happened was consultants came in probably spent a bit of time in Addis, they wrote the policy, they gave it to them, and then they flew out again. Therefore, the policy was never really adopted by the Ethiopians. They never really said, actually, we believe in this, this is ours. So I was keen to learn from that. So quite a lot of the next steps came from understanding how the open data policy development worked out there. Um, So key in all of that is making sure that build trust. That's going and sitting down with the Coalition of the Willing, going and sitting down with the the, the stakeholder task force and being a little bit humble, a little bit honest, saying, you know, what have you done before? How has it worked? Um, You know, what what have you already started developing? Where are the areas that you think you need help with? Um, And through that process, developing a set of really high-level principles about how we would develop a policy that fitted their requirements and they could own, and it was me helping them, rather than me as somebody that's done policy work in the UK, coming in and telling people what to do. Bold statement uh, across the top of this one. Um, I do think that this is the best thing that the EODI has created. Um, It helps all of the time uh, with with the work that I'm doing. Um, In the conversations that I was having in Ethiopia, it was identifying where are they, let's understand where the Ethiopian people themselves and the people that are holding data are on the data spectrum. Are they already over here determined to release everything as open data or are they right across at the other side and and very, very closed and finding things difficult? And and the real answer is that there was aspirations to sort of sit here and be, be sharing more data, but quite a lot of the way that people were operating was in a very closed holding onto data or I think data hugging it was called earlier in the week um, kind of way. If you actually unpick that and why that was, uh, I mentioned earlier that quite a lot of the data is collected by researchers. Uh, Researchers collect data for a particular reason. Usually it's for publication. They want to write a paper. They want to publish their paper. That's how they get credit. That's how then when they're looking for jobs, they can reference the paper and they um, can progress in that way. The problem being, if, they got, if they've collected data, they see data as the fundamental underpinning of their research projects and their publications, so they don't want to share it in case people gazump them with um, publications. They challenge their publications with the data that they've got. So a, a, basic, a culture of holding on to data has grown up within that process. Um, quite a lot of the institutions, or the research institutions, encourage that. Because, again, their scene, their kind of driver is publications and papers. So if, if they release the data, then obviously they're giving away their unique, the unique aspect of them for, for other people to sort of hop on the back of. So you can see there's quite, there's, we're over there, leaping all the way to over here, going into organisations or researchers like that and saying what you need to do is when you've collected this data, you just need to give it away. And anybody can use it and they can do whatever they want with it was quite a big leap. So by understanding where the task force and the others were sitting on the spectrum, it gave an opportunity to sort of pitch how we were going to develop the policy. So funnily enough, didn't use open data at all and started to think about data sharing. The policy uh, principles that I said that we set up used uh, the international, uh, internationally developed um, FAIR model so data should be findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. And before this project, I could never remember what the acronym stood for, but now it's, it's in there. And these became the pillars that the policy was built around. So much more focused on the outcome we were trying to seek rather than any particular license type, which is effectively what open data is. It's just data licensed in a particular way. We developed, developed a draft policy. Spent some time sitting in a hotel room, writing it out. The next step that was really important, learning from the open data experience, was to consult. To make sure that we actually got the the stakeholders in a room, sat down, and they got the opportunity to look at the policy before it was finished. So this is a pretty um, normal room layout for these kind of meetings out there. You've got the bench tables across the middle. Um, I tried to disrupt it a little bit by this point by getting people to talk to each other but it, it wasn't necessarily working brilliantly. However, they're talking about the policy, they're unpicking the policy with a bit of structure. I'm going to plug Liberating Structures at this point. So liberating Structures are a bunch of free um, free to use facilitation techniques for which I I I think I introduced Ethiopia, I'm not sure, but I'm going to claim that one. Um, So using techniques from the Liberating Structures catalogue, trying to get people engaged with a policy. The real reason for doing it in this particular way, this is after lunch, I cleared the tables away. It was trying to get people to have fun. Trying to get people to engage actually in a way which is more open more kind of uh, effective people are communicating with each other without these artificial barriers within the room stopping people talking to each other. So by doing this, every, this, is, this is a picture actually of people voting on what their priorities are for the policy and the policy implementation. Um, I, had a, a, I stood standing at the front with a microphone, I a bit like a line dancing caller, but it, you know, it, was, it was good fun. Um, we got a lot out of it. The other thing that we got out of it as well as... Uh, prioritisation was everybody in the room felt engaged with the policy. So when the policy draft was actually written, they could s- they they'd seen it before, they'd been involved in its development and therefore there was l- very little resistance to it when it landed. So quite often people use the term agile. Yeah, we did it in an agile way and I'm trying to train myself not to do that. So basically this was in we we did the policy development in an iterative way so i, I wrote down a little strap line iterate not dictate um, so the policy was developed we built it was built and written we shared it with them we got criticized it got ripped to bits it got put back together again we learned from that then tweaked it adjusted it and then went back round the circle again um, the idea of doing that is that as i say everybody feels that they're engaged with it and every everybody feels that they're part of the policy development. It's not some Brit that's flown in that's just telling people what to do. Um, So this is not the policy. The policy is not yet enacted. um, And I take that as a sign of success, bizarrely. The reason the policy has not yet been enacted is that I wrote a data sharing policy for soil and agronomy data. It went, through, went into the Ministry of Agriculture, went up through the hierarchy for a sign-off. The minister himself got to see it, or his, probably his advisors, got to see it and said, well, why don't we do this for the whole of agriculture? Why are we just focusing on this little bit? Um, so at the moment, we've kind of stalled in this place between we've got this policy that's ready to go for this group of stakeholders, can we make it, can we mega it? So we're kind of navigating that at the moment. Um, so this is literally a screen grab of another policy. Um, but from our point of view, and from the point of view of the stakeholders that are investing in creating it, the policy is there, it's ready to go, it just needs to go through that final process with the minister. Um, and that, that's happening at the moment. Um, so we've moved from the stick. The stick stage is now over, to some Almost. Once the policy is actually in place, we have the stick, we can point, it, point at it and say, look, you, it says here you should be sharing data more and these are the things that you need to do. You need to have a metadata repository, you need to be storing it in an electronic way, yada, 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 all the things that you'd expect it to be. Um, there's not necessarily the infrastructure in place to do all of that yet. So we're now helping for another year, uh, for, the rest, for, for the next year, with the, the implementation of the policy which is much more about getting people to understand what it means how we can help them learn how to do different things like geotag data in a simple and easy way uh, and currently w- I'm working with the ODI to sort of help build out what that, that sort of project looks like uh, yeah just another excuse for another photo um, the implementation is going to be even very similar way so again, rather than just going in and saying, here you go, here's your stuff, we've done it, we've done it, we, we had a nice workshop in London, we wrote you a training course and there you go. It's much more about, here's some ideas, let's go and work out what you're trying to do, let's hear what you think about them, let's kind of shape it in accordance with what you're trying to achieve already, shape what we're doing, build it, and then sort of go back round that cycle again to make sure that what we're doing is we're creating learning materials, communication campaigns, education that actually lands in-country and becomes part of the infrastructure that they use themselves without having to have external third-party uh, input. So I, I wish through that. Um, I can talk about that project for a lot longer, as you can imagine. So back to the question. So, so is open data dead, in my view? I was pleased with this slide. I, I, like the, I like the idea of an no open data. Thank you, Olivier. Um, so in this project, in the project I've just talked about, um, completely, pretty much completely ignored open data as a requirement. Didn't talk about it other than to understand really quickly, really early on, that if we pushed an open da- data agenda, what would happen is people would withdraw because of the, the, the fear of what that might mean. So therefore, focused in this particular project on the journey across the spectrum from closed to open thinking about well, how do we make where we are at the moment, where people are holding on to data, it's tucked away, we can't use it, how do we get from that kind of place where, where the benefits aren't being achieved, how do we just move one step, two steps across just to help, help others? Um, sometimes that journey will end up with open data obviously we'll end up with open data because one of the benefits is you don't have to administer things like licences. You don't have to check what people are doing with data if you're comfortable and you release it as open data. But in a country that's just come from this kind of like really kind of closed, risk-averse environment, to make that leap was just just too far. So some control about data sharing, some licensing um, is necessary just to sort of give people comfort of what's going on. We might end with open data but what we don't start with and didn't start with in this case is a a data premise. Actually it was all about what the outcome is that the organisation or the country is trying to achieve. So in Ethiopia the situation was trying to uh, improve the um, soil to get more crop yields was the outcome. One of the ways of doing that is data. So just really thinking about Actually, rather than this being the endpoint, rather than open data being the endpoint um, and being the, the thing that we need, it's actually would sharing more data actually get the same output? Would we get to the same place? This isn't just true for the work that I've done in Ethiopia, for pretty much every organization that I've spoken to that isn't, necess- isn't a data organization, i.e., it's not just a data, doesn't just do data, they're usually starting from this point. Where we've got lots of data, we're holding on to it, um, and they're really bothered about just making it open and just releasing it with no licensing. So, actually, the stepping stone across the spectrum is is the more critical thing at this precise moment in time. For me, when the open data kind of uh, pressure came on, mainly, it's sort of about five, ten years ago, it was mainly around government data. So an argument could be easily made to make this leap from one end to the other. Now we're talking about more nuanced data. It's a bit more difficult. So really starting with why, why do we want to do data sharing, why do we want to use this data is probably more important than what we're going to end up doing. Um, So you might be relieved to hear that I'm coming to the last couple of slides. So uh, one of the things that I learned in DEFRA or from the work they did in DEFRA was that in in that particular instance we released 10,000 open data sets. Hurrah. Um, That was definitely an outcome. Um, I'm pretty confident and I I know this was true a year or so ago I'm pretty confident that less than 10% of that data has ever been looked at, let alone used. The data that's being used from that vast amount that DEFRA released was the stuff that people were using before which was probably about 20 data sets. They get used regularly for the same kind of things. So what was the point in releasing all of that data? So in my view, and nobody's ever challenged me when I've said this, um, it was as a, the reason for saying 8,000 data sets was as a stick to really bash the organisational culture, to get the organisation and the organisations to think differently around how data gets shared. Um, it worked, that happened. Um, in any move across the data spectrum, that we're, like, like that that we're talking about, which was what happened in DEFRA, which we're trying to do in Ethiopia, which happened in the Environment Agency, in my mind, that should be considered as a change programme, either formal, formal change or informal change. But e- either way, what you're trying to do is get an organisational culture and organisation approaches or countries' approaches to change. And it's, I've not, again, through, through the work that I've done, it always comes down to these three things that need to change. We need to change the process, need to change the technology, but more fundamentally, you need to work with the people. Um, Quite often what happens is we invest in technology. Yeah, I can buy something that will fix this data sharing problem that I have. Or you write a process. Oh, here you go, here's a brilliant new soil and agronomy data sharing policy. Um, The bit that always gets missed for me or gets less focus is how do we get the people to understand, A, how to use the technology, B to understand what the processes are trying to achieve and C to rather rather than be resistant to actually be a, an advocate for this piece of work um, in Ethiopia and in Defra what I tried to do and the process that we tried the, the approach we tried to take to do that was to work openly to be clear about the principles of what we were trying to do to be clear about the outcome that we were trying to get to and then to work through and iterate in a way which enabled people to engage um, By working openly, in my mind, you get the things that you need developed and people will come with you on that journey across across the spectrum. So in my view, I think open data is dead as an outcome in and of itself. Um, Just saying we need more open data is gone. What we need to focus on um, as people that believe in more data sharing and more open data is focus on that journey across the data spectrum. How do we help people understand that by moving one step across, you're gonna get more than staying where you are? Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Mike. So we're going to be taking questions from the audience and from Twitter. If you are watching the live stream, uh, please use the hashtag ODI Friday so that we can see your questions. And I'm going to do the usual of abusing my position as MC to to start with one question for you, Mike. Uh, Mike knows that this is a, a sign that he's in trouble. Uh, no. So uh, my first question to you is: um, I really enjoyed you talking about that notion of open data as that 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 first step um, rightwards on the data spectrum from closed to shared rather than going directly to open. Um, In some sectors where the ODI is helping, we tend to hear that that word open bandied around quite a lot, even when they mean shared. Mm -hmm. And there's sometimes a bit of a, do we just let them do that because it's such a powerful word even though they're misusing it? Or should we say, no, you're not quite going to open yet, but that's okay because it's a step.
1: So so I think... Open, open data is important as a thing. It's a, a thing that can be... In this world, there's not a lot of stuff that can be defined. When, can you define big data, for example? Can you devi, devi, uh, define data lakes? Whatever they are. Some of the stuff in da- data world is difficult to define. Open data is really, really easy to define. Um, and it, as a construct in itself, is really powerful. So I worked in releasing the, the flood data from the Environment Agency as open data. And the flood data being proper, true open data was really important because it enabled huge amounts of people to do, do new stuff with it. Um, so I think it probably is worth, in organisations, just pushing back and being clear that, yes, whilst shared data, you are publishing it and people can access it and that is more, more open, it isn't open data.
0: Okay, we're now going to take questions from the audience. Kayla here will be waving at me if there are questions from Twitter would anyone like to st- start with the first question? Yes. Uh, please talk into the mic so that people in the stream can hear you. Hi. Um, I'm interested to know a bit more, especially in the context of Ethiopia, about other users. From your slide of uh, stakeholders, it looks like there are international uh, donors and then the government of Ethiopia. In um, the kind of workshops you you run, there were civil society or private sector. Uh, So other potential users uh, Mm -hmm. of this data, or was just... uh, And I'm asking this question in terms of sustainability in a context that is still very much centralised in terms of
1: information. So, it's a good question. So in the the workshops that that were were run um, for the policy development, it was mainly focused on soil and agronomy data holders. So the kind of people that we were trying to influence to share their data. So there were lots of researchers in the room. There were lots of soil scientists and there were some um, of the, say, representatives of GIZ that are working on um, soil projects. Uh, there were some uh, representatives of, of who you would consider data users, but it was, it was definitely much more on the, 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 who was going to be holding data and how can we get them to share it, end of things. Um, Ethiopia's, it's, coming from here, it's a kind of, kind of interesting situation. That, that fragmentation of data collection am, amongst researchers, is, a, is a, in my mind, is quite a barrier to having like national policy. It's really difficult to go from the field level data collection to having a national data set where you can then set policy on it. Um, the, the example that's live at the moment is around the, the liming of acidic soils. So there is no national data that's been collected on how much lime is needed to make sure that the Ethiopian soils can be limed effectively. So the first step, rather waffly answer, I apologize, but the the first step is very much getting the stakeholders that are holding the data to kind of get that they need to think about sharing it rather than let's focus on who's going to be using it at this point. Um, A phrase I've heard more of recently is presumed open. Um, Do you have anything to add on top of what you've already said um, that uh, is a response to the way that's framed? (laughs) So, so my, my background, the bit I didn't say in my introduction is, my background is I did an intellectual property law degree as part of my getting my head around this. So presumed open to me means that you haven't been able to find out whether it's open or not, so therefore you've taken a punt. So where, So, my, my kind of like strictly legally speaking answer is, well, presumed open is just made up. It's just a construct. However, I've just done a slide so we have a series of photographs in it, and there's a number of photographs in there that I took. But actually, there's a number of photographs in there that I took off the internet and i have just used in here. In my head, I'm using a presumption, I'm presuming under copyright law that because this is an educational activity, I've got an exemption and I can just do that. But I'm presuming that. I have no evidence that that is the case. So, hmm, a very vague way of answering. <laughs> there's a question, do
0: Thank you. That was really interesting. Um, I have two related questions. So can I just check that I've understood correctly that there was a data policy um, that had been written by some maybe external consultants had come in, but it hadn't been implemented yet and the project was, the original project was to implement? No.
1: Okay. Quite. So, right. so uh, thank you for that asking. That wasn't my question. I was just trying to answer I know. Oh, I can clarify. <laughs> so an open data was, policy was written. So um, it was decided that I don't know who, somebody in, in one of the minist- ministries decided that open data was important, so we need to have a policy around open data, but it never thought about what data. So it's just like generic statements around data should be made open, whereas the policy, the bit of that I was asked to do, was focused much more specifically in on soil and agronomy data sharing. So the open data policy is like, I think it, it's, it's on the internet, you can see the draft on the internet, I think it's about 35 pages long. You know, it's a massive tome of waffly stuff which is very prescriptive about how you publish and share open data. The bit that I've done is, is like six pages long, it's really short and it's much more focused on these are the key things around sharing this type of data for this type of purpose. Okay.
0: Thank you. So then the two questions are this. Um, the stakeholders you're in, engaging in the country, how did they respond to being um, invited to consult and work in a facilitated way when there was already a kind of policy available? So how did they respond to that yeah. kind of what could have looked like maybe duplicating work? Mm-hmm but also was there any value in the, in the fact that some kind of document already existed? Did you find that useful in any way? Um, or do you think it would have been better to begin with a blank slate?
1: Ah, Okay, um, I'm going to take those the other way around. Okay. So in my mind, the open data policy didn't help at all. Um, it, it wasn't a useful tool for working with people that weren't familiar with the data jargon that we use. Um, so quite a lot of the people that are collecting data are soil scientists. So they're interested in soil science and, you know, how fertilisers work with soils. They're not interested in, you know, what license do you put with data to share it between X and Y. So the open data policy was, if it had been read by more than t- 10 people that I've engaged with, I'd be very surprised. Um, I've forgotten what the, the second bit was. So how did your stakeholders respond to being invited to kind of engage with yep. something where they
0: already thought there they might already be a
1: tool in place? Fantastic. So, so that's how did the stake, stakeholders respond. Um, because they wouldn't have been engaged on the open data policy, they therefore generally, I don't think, were aware that there was an open data policy. So this was coming at it fresh. And also it was not only coming at it fresh, it was coming at it with the support of that coalition of the willing and that stakeholder group. So they, they already kind of knew it was being pushed by the Ministry of Agriculture as a thing that needed doing. So uh, you know, how, how I would summarize those two bits, two bits up is, in order to develop workable policy, it's important to have a specific example to be working on and through. Mm-hmm. The, the problem with, you know, I mentioned that they're looking at broad, broadening out the, the data sharing policy from soil and agronomy to the whole of agriculture. The problem with doing that is you then introduce a whole heap of different types of data, mm-hmm. uh, like data about like pests and disease, which affect crops, which some people will be far more sensitive about than they would be about the chemical an- ana- analysis of the soil itself. So. You need to go through a whole other range of stakeholder engagements to to do that broadening out, so my my conclusion was fo- being focused in really helps getting a good tight policy written Thank you. yes uh, it's interesting to hear how you uh, want to develop a, a policy, but I'm also interested to hear uh, what type of technology you're interested to use in the future, for instance uh, are you looking into like a new technology that you used to use drones or I know blockchain project, for instance, that
0: uh, that way you can hash and and, and track, uh, uh, like agri
1: ledger, Mm -hmm. working with um, uh, uh, the agricultural industry to uh, track from uh, basically from your from your seed uh, to to its uh, actually uh, can buy the product. So it's uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm interested to what you're looking into. to use there. So I'm happy to connect with some people. That's, that's, yeah. that's great, thank you. Um, so in the piece of work that I'm doing, it's much more basic level than, than the technology. So the technology that's required at the moment for, for the work that I'm doing is as simple as a shared server where data can be put. Um, the technology that you, you're describing, like using drones to collect information, that's, not, that's outside, way outside of the scope of the piece of work that, I, that I'm actually involved with. I know Gates are involved in that kind of work out in, um, out in Ethiopia and other countries. But yeah, technology for me is much more about the technology of data sharing rather than necessarily the technology of data capture. Um, the, the, the other bit around the specific projects, that, the project that I'm involved in at the moment, is it's much more focused on the process and the people. So that, as I mentioned, the, um, people find it really easy to invest in technology so it's very easy for somebody, well, very, very easy. It's relatively easy for somebody to scope out what they want in terms of a technological, technological solution. So, you know, we need an AWS server, we need to be this big, it needs to have this much uptime, blah, 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 that will cost you this amount of money. And then they go and get the money from somewhere. It's much, much harder to work out, how do we get everybody aware of this policy? How do we get everybody to start thinking differently about how they share data? Because you can't say it's going to cost 50 grand, 500 grand, you just don't know. It, it, you have to go through a series of processes. So it's much more focused on the people and the process than, than the technology in terms of the work that I'm doing. Yeah, I, I guess a wisdom of hindsight question. Knowing, knowing what you know now, is there anything, anything you'd have done differently about the 10,000 data sets that were released, 1,000 of which we used, or was that the right thing to do at the, the time for the, the, sort of the reasons you gave in organizational change? And so, uh, like well, I, I suppose... Would I be standing here now if that project didn't happen in exactly the way it did? The answer's no. Um, so, if you think, so if you came at it from the point of view that releasing, uh, releasing 8,000 data sets was to um, increase economic benefit, which was definitely one of the conversations that was being had at the time, then there's something that I would do differently, which is I wouldn't go for 8,000 data sets. I'd go for the top 50 that are really going to serve that outcome if the outcome, as I actually believe it was but nobody said, was to really challenge organisational structures and get people get, get this big behemoth department to work better together, then having a number which looked on the face of it vaguely unachievable was really important because what it meant was you couldn't deliver it using these same organisational structures. You just couldn't do it. It was impossible. I think in the previous ten years only 800 data sets had been shared. and then You've got an you know, order of magnitude in a year. So It was exactly right for breaking the organisational structures, but it wasn't necessarily right for delivering economic benefit.
0: Any one last comment from the audience? Any one last comment from Twitter?
1: Not a plant, but hi, Josh. (laughs) Hi, Josh, who's working on this project with me. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. (laughs) 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 Um, So, yeah, my question goes sort of to the ethos of what you're talking about as in sort of open being seen too much as, you know, the expected result or uh, the drive towards it as a fait accompli, would you say that something like open by default or open by design, which is, you know, sort of in vogue or has been recently in vogue uh, way of approaching this is then maybe not a a good approach for for similar reasons, that it sort of is a bit maybe too presumptuous or do you think that that still is something that can exist alongside the notion of open data is dead? So I think it depends on who, who you're talking about. So if you look at where open, it, okay, my view, if you look at where open data really came from in this country, it, was it, it kind of, it's rooted in or really being, being pushed as a mainstream thing was rooted in transparency, government and particularly government transparency. So, open by default is really important for procure, government procurement because people should be able to scrutinize what their money their tax is being spent on so in that context, open by default fine um, I, I quite like open by design um, that for me is that you 're making a deliberate decision for that particular bit of data to be open for a particular reason so if you look at, say, soil and agronomy as, as this example, you may, may decide that um, soil liming is a data set that should be open because its, it's use is um, so beneficial. You would then design the data as you're collecting it to be open. So open by design works. So for me, for me both of those are actually um, part of how you would deliver a, a, a solution rather than open data just being an outcome. You've actually already got a couple of steps down, to, down the path of thinking what you're going to do.
0: Excellent. Well, this sounds like a great way to, um, to finish. So please join me in thanking Mike today. Thank, thank, thank you. you all for coming today. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.